Well, that's the passage that we're going to have a look at, but it's going to be helpful if we ask God to help us as we listen to what his word says. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, guessing how it is that we ought to live as your people, but you've given us your word, and we want to pray that you would help us now, that we might hear it, that we might understand it, and that by your spirit we might apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about 15, my parents went away on holidays to Western Australia for a couple of weeks, and they left me, the 15, I might have even been 14, and my two-year-older brother at home, alone, to look after ourselves. Now, you're probably thinking, that wasn't a very smart idea, was it, leaving two teenage boys in a house all by themselves for two weeks? Which is funny, because that's exactly what my brother and I were thinking as they drove off on their holiday. They knew, that, or we knew, that they were going to be gone for two weeks, and if we wanted to show our gratitude for the trust that they'd shown in us, then we knew we kind of had to try and do the right thing. But smart people, my parents, we knew exactly when they were leaving, we waved them off, but we weren't exactly sure which day they were coming back. They said they'd be around about two weeks, so it was going to be some time on that last weekend that they came home. And uh, we knew that we needed to make sure that the house was well prepared and looking just right. Now, there's two words at the beginning of that Bible passage that we just read that I think actually describe how my brother and I wanted to feel when the parents came home. Confident and unashamed. Being prepared is what stands at the very heart of this passage that we're looking at today. But it's being prepared for Jesus' return. And have a look at what John says there, right in chapter uh, 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. John's point's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus is coming again, and that ought to motivate us in our Christian lives. So don't misunderstand what John's saying here. He's not saying, have you been good enough for Jesus? Will he be happy when he comes? That's not what he's trying to say. John has stressed all the way through that we are only right with God because of the forgiveness that God offers us through his son. It's only through the death of Jesus on the cross that we are made right with God. So John's question is, if you know that Jesus is coming again then what kind of life are you going to live? How will you want him to see you when he returns? Jesus' return is a great motivation for a godly life. And John gives us another motivation at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This is Elon Musk. You might be familiar with the man. He's a fairly wealthy character. He's worth billions of dollars. In fact, I checked it on the internet, $255 billion. That's US dollars he's worth, I believe. Now, imagine that he comes to your house tomorrow morning, knocks on your door and says... I'd like you to be part of my family. I'd like you to share in my inheritance. 
He wants to leave you a large share of the money that he has. Now, that would be an extraordinary thing to happen, wouldn't it? But John says that God's done something even more extraordinary than that. Chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The God and creator of all things has welcomed you into his family. If you have your trust in Jesus, you are in the family. You are part of God's family and the inheritance belongs to you. It goes without saying that we should never cease to be amazed at the love that God has shown to us. We should never take it for granted. We should never see it as being a small thing. We should wake up every day and be amazed at what it is that God has done for us. I always feel a little bit sorry for our youngest son, Ben, because anytime anyone sees a family photo with the two of us in it, they say, oh, gee, you look like your dad. And he's always embarrassed and I'm a little bit embarrassed. I mean, I don't see it myself. I can't... It's... <laughs> You laugh, but I seriously can't see it. I don't think he looks a thing like me. I think he's actually a good-looking kid. But, but every time a photo like this is shown, everybody says the same thing. Oh, gee, you look like your dad. John says part of being God's family is that we should actually share the family likeness, that people should see us, see our lives, see the attitudes that we have, the priorities that we have, and recognise that we're part of God's family. That should stand out. Those values, those priorities, people should see that we are part of that family. And John shows us a couple of the characteristics that we ought to have. So chapter 2, verse 29 is the first one. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We should be be righteous. We should be motivated to do the right thing. That's what Jesus is like. So those who trust in Jesus, that's what they ought to be like as well. We should bear that family likeness. We should seek to be like Jesus at that level. And the second thing is there in verse 2 of chapter 3. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Righteous, doing the right thing, and pure. That's what we should look like. That purification is an ongoing process in our Christian lives. I became a Christian when I was about 20 and I know that that process has been happening and even in my 60s I still know that my life needs to change so that I do look more like Jesus. Righteousness and purity are not things that we have so that we can be children of God. They're the things that we ought to have because we are the children of God. People should be able to see the family likeness with us. People should be able to see in our lives that righteousness, that purity that we're striving for. 
not to be acceptable to God, but because we've been accepted by God, been welcomed into the family. But on top of that, John says that there is a character trait that we ought not to have, jumping down to verse 9. No one who is born of God continues to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is a verse that's uh, led to probably a little bit of confusion among some Christian circles. There have been some people who've thought that we can actually achieve sinless perfection in this life. Uh, things like monasteries were a bit of an attempt to do that, to, to hide away from the rest of the world so that we don't fall into sin, that we just have that small group of people with us who are all striving for that same sinless per perfection. But sadly, that's not going to happen this side of heaven. And then there have been other groups like the Quakers who've thought that we would be able to attain that sinless state in our lives, that we could actually become stronger than Adam was and resist all temptations. They also thought that we could be, live that sinless perfection. But that's not what John's suggesting here. Did you see what he says there in verse 6 of chapter 3? Chapter 3, verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And then jump down to verse number 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. John's not saying that once you become a Christian, there will never be sin in your life. That's not his point at all. Jump back up to chapter 2 and verse number 1 and look at what he says there. My dear, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. John doesn't for a moment think that we're going to achieve sinless perfection in this life he's not saying that you have to stop sinning and you will you are never to sin again or you can no longer be a child of God what he's saying is the ideal of our lives is that we don't sin that we don't do those things that reflect badly on God and badly on us and John isn't saying that we can claim to be sin free we will sin in this life but we can't claim to know God if we continue to sin as though sin means nothing to us. Sin ought to be taken seriously in our Christian lives. But don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to take the weight out of these verses. John wants to be clear that sin is serious. We know that it's serious because of the lengths that God went to to deal with our sin. He sent his own son into this world, verse 5 of chapter 3. But we know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I think sometimes there are Christians who treat sin too lightly. There are even perhaps times in your life when you've done the same thing, that you know that it wasn't the right thing to do, but you just shrugged it off and kept going. 
can sometimes be with small things, insignificant things. But John says that we need to remember that Jesus came into the world to pay the penalty for our sin. He suffered and died because of our sin. The sin in our lives is not something that we should treat lightly or as, as an insignificant thing. So let me ask, when people look at your life, do you think that they can see the family likeness, that you are a child of God? Do you think it's obvious to people that you're part of God's family? Are people who've known you for a length of time surprised to find out that you are a Christian? And what about your attitudes towards sin? It's very easy to identify the sin in other people's lives, but that's not a very helpful thing. You need to examine your life. You need to think if there are areas in your life where perhaps your behaviour might need to change, your attitudes might need to change. Let me ask the question that John asks at the beginning. Jesus is coming again. Will you be confident and unashamed when he appears? Again, this isn't an attempt to make you feel guilty. That's not what John's wanting to do at all. He offers the positive encouragement of living a godly life because God has lavished his love on us, because our sins have been forgiven by God, because we're waiting for the day when Jesus returns. And because of all of that, we should be proud to be a part of this family and wanting to bear the family likeness. Not so that we can be part of God's family, but because we are part of God's family. Not so that God will love us, but because God has already lavished his love on us. Not because we're trying to find favour with God, but because we have this relationship with God through his son Jesus. Not so that we can earn our way to heaven, but because we're headed to heaven while we wait for Jesus to come again. John sums all of this up in a couple of verses here, chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have, who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Leslie's going to pray for us.